Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You guys have done it again. Smart People Podcast is nominated for the second year in a row at the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Remember, you can vote every day, so head over to www.podcastawards.com. Vote for Smart People Podcast in the education section, and then fill out your name, email, and hit submit. Remember, sometimes you have to check your spam to verify your vote. So let's get out there and vote for Smart People Podcast every day. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, everybody. I am Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. Hope you all are doing well. Special shout out to everyone for listening, giving us feedback. You guys have sent us some really cool emails. Don't, don't you enjoy those, Roach? I do, especially now that I am unemployed. Oh, boy. I knew that was getting thrown in there. Yes, So that finally. means you have more time to spend on this? Way more time after tomorrow. Guys, really excited for the episode today. It is something I'm passionate about, John's passionate about, something we need to change so much so the nonprofit I work for is is working towards it as well. This week we speak with Josh Tetrick, who is the CEO of Hampton Creek Foods. Now, I can give you a whole spiel about Hampton Creek Foods, but we would recommend go to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Check out the TEDx video that Josh did where he gives a demonstration and a great talk about Hampton Creek Foods or listen to the upcoming podcast and afterwards, if you're intrigued, go check it out. It's really cool. They are a company that is basically reinventing the egg using plant-based ingredients 
it's fantastic. I mean, they're they're taking their product and making mayo without eggs that tastes like mayo, that is formed like mayo, and it's healthier. What came first? The egg or Hampton Creek Foods. Or the plant. <laughs> Josh has been involved with a variety of social causes that include a United Nations initiative in Kenya, teaching street children in multiple African countries as a Fulbright scholar. He earned his undergrad degree from Cornell and his JD from University of Michigan Law School. Yet he wanted to create a company that changed the world. And we think they're doing a great job in the short time that they have been in existence. Yes, and you can change the world of our podcast. Head over to iTunes, leave us a review, a comment, do something to spread the word, tell a friend, keep doing the awesome stuff that you guys are doing. Hit us up on Twitter, email, all that fun stuff. But most importantly, enjoy this week's podcast with Josh Tetrick. All right, Josh, I wanted to dive in, and clearly I really want to focus on Hampton Creek Foods, but you are so much more than that as an entrepreneur, what I would call a social entrepreneur, and I was hoping you could give us a brief background of what has gotten you to, to this point in your career. Yeah, I spent about um, seven years of my life in sub-Saharan Africa, and I was working in Kenya and Liberia and South Africa. Um, in Lagos, Nigeria, doing a whole bunch of different things. But the, the essential nature of what I was doing is trying to do a little bit of good. I was working with kids and, and trying to support them getting off the street and into school and working on investment law reform in Liberia. But, you know, honestly, all that stuff sounded good when I, when I went home or, you know, uh, met friends out at the bar. <laughs> but when I would really just kind of be to myself and know what the, what the real deal is, it felt like change was happening too slow. And I was frustrated. Um, it felt like it was too bureaucratic. It felt like things were just taking too long. And I got back to the States and, and wanted to try to find a way to, to make change happen faster. And my best friend in the world who's been sort of engaged in these issues for longer uh, than I have been, told me the story about our food. And I said, it's got to be a place where capitalism can fight back. That's really amazing. Before we get into the story of our food, because that is where I am very passionate as well, I wanted to know, you know, you have your JD, you went to Cornell, obviously a bright guy. What made you want to go into things like going to Africa or uh, working on changing the food system as opposed to let's go work at a top consulting firm or let's go work at a uh, on Wall Street and just make m millions of dollars. I think this idea, number one, of you know, we have a lot of big needs out there on the planet. And I think when we think about all these needs, whether it's a billion people going to bed hungry every single night or kids, you know, under cardboard boxes instead of classrooms, it just it feels like it's a good place to put your life. Uh, to solve some of these needs. And there's a lot of maybe BS we could all be doing, but um, trying to solve these things, I know, just kind of feels like the right thing for me personally. And it also kind of feels like this, there's often this choice that I think young people in particular are faced with that, you know, either you don't make a whole lot of money and you do some good, or, you know, you pursue a career as a consultant or an investment banker or as an attorney and you maybe do a whole lot of bad, and maybe you'll give some money away. 
And I always thought that choice was honestly ridiculous. I think you can actually find a way to look at some of the needs out there and throw your life at solving those needs in a way that actually brings happiness in your life, in a way that if you care about money, can put some money in your bank account. Uh, or if you care just about leveraging your skills, whether in design or engineering or whatever it is, it's a good place to play. Yeah, and I mean, clearly, you know, from Hampton Creek Foods, granted, it's it's to move a lot of things forward when it comes to the industry of food. But in the process, there's a great chance that you, you know, make a great living and and do it in a way that benefits the planet. So I think that directly speaks to what you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, people have made a whole lot of money in this world by doing things that aren't always the best for the planet, that always aren't the best for animals, that isn't the best for our bodies. Um, and I think you can actually make a whole lot of money in this world by doing just the opposite, too. Right. Okay, now let's get into food. Tell us, in your words and in your opinion, what is currently wrong with the the state of the food environment in this world? Yeah, this is an answer I'll have to consciously try to keep short. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. Because there's a lot there. So I think the way we look at food is as a system. So in the same way that we would look at education or healthcare or energy as systems with a whole lot of issues, we look at food as a system with a lot of issues. So take education, right? I, I went to law school and I was always kind of taught what to learn instead of how to learn. We deal with perverse incentives in our healthcare system. We know the fact that coal is getting all these subsidies as opposed to clean energy. That's an issue in our energy system. And I think if we look at food as a system, there is no way in the wide world that we would do it like this if we started it from scratch. Um, and sort of broadly, when we look at the food system, we think the system generally is emitting way too many greenhouse gas emissions. We think there are a host of food safety issues. We think it's brutal to animals, and we don't think it's empowering farmers. And the reason why at Hampton Creek we focus on intensive animal agriculture, specifically egg production, is because those things really stick out as being broken, particularly degrading to the local and the global environment, particularly brutal to animals, and particularly unsafe. There's an avian flu outbreak right now in China, and this is just crazy town. You know, this is just bizarre the way we do things, and... There's got to be a way to do it a little bit better. I agree. I just watched the documentary Forks Over Knives and in a two-hour span became probably 90% vegetarian. And so, yeah. I mean, it's crazy when you really educate yourself what's going on out there and what you're able to just close your eyes to, you know, and just say, I'm not going to pay attention. I'm not going to be part of it. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. You know, I think what I've realized is, you know, People are obviously very busy. You know, people got busy lives, their moms and dads and families and students. But most people, most people, um, because I, I really believe most people are good at heart and most people are sane. Most sane people, when they see the state of animal production, both in America and around the world, the state of factory farming, most of them look at that and say, that makes me sick. Mm -hmm. They do. You know, they say this doesn't align with my values, compassion, kindness, integrity, and this doesn't align with my interests at all. And I think there's a space there. And that, that space of change doesn't always mean that people are going to adopt a plant-based diet. It doesn't always mean that. And that's not what, you know, we advocate as a company. But I do think it means something. Um, and it's that something that we think there's a lot of hope for change in. 
So tell us about Hampton Creek Foods and how, through that company, you plan on, uh, you know, propagating this change. So we decided that we want to focus on intensive animal agriculture and then specifically egg production um, because of how brutal it is, how degrading it is. So we look at a system of egg production where you have 1.8 trillion eggs that are laid every year around the world. 1.8 trillion. And 99% of all of those eggs, whether where I was raised in Birmingham, Alabama, or in Beijing, China, 99% come from these places called battery cage facilities. So if your listeners kind of close their eyes and imagine these industrial warehouses with row upon row upon row of cages stacked on top of each other, with birds crammed in each individual cage, and they're left there on about the size of an iPad for two years, and they lay eggs, and then those eggs go in muffins and cookies, and you also scramble them up. So we look at that, and we say, wow, that is antiquated. That is not who we are as a society. Instead of using the animal in the rustic cages and all the antibiotic-laden feed, we take all of that out of the equation, and instead we have a group of unbelievable scientists and a team of business folks who have scanned the world for plants that are more functional than the chicken egg. So they can work better in muffins and cookies and can also scramble up. And then we use these plants to attack big markets, whether mayonnaise, where a lot of eggs are used, or cookie dough, where a lot of eggs are used, or even scrambled eggs, where, of course, lots of eggs are used because it's just eggs. (laughs) And that's one of the things that struck me the most is I buy cage-free, try-and-get-free-range eggs, and I think I'm doing my part. And I forget that that's probably 20% of my egg consumption. If that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cage free eggs globally actually um, make up much less than 1% of the total. Uh, but you're right. You know, this, this chicken egg, which, you know, isn't a bad thing in and of itself. There's, there's not a problem with a chicken egg, just like there's not a problem with coal. You know, coal is a naturally occurring thing that happens when dinosaurs decompose. Um, it's only beca- it only becomes an issue when you surround it with a system that sends 79 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere like it's an open sewer. You know, if we actually captured that CO2 and did something productive with it, coal wouldn't be a bad thing. And we think the same thing about a chicken egg, that it's a system that surrounds it that creates all these issues. And to your point, yeah, the idea that it actually lives in a muffin or a cookie. And you have good people all around New York City and Beijing right now eating a chocolate chip cookie, probably as we speak, without any connection at all that there's an ingredient that comes from one of those gross places powering the cookie. That's crazy. Exactly. That that point precisely, I think, I'm so glad that you and your company have kind of brought light to that because, I, like I said, as a fairly informed consumer, even I didn't think about that. So let's talk about the process that you are creating these, what do you call them, faux eggs? We call them, so when we just were, were lucky enough to uh, sign a partnership deal with Whole Foods, to launch our very first product, Just Mayo, across the country. Um, and in that context, we call it really good mayonnaise. You know, <laughs> or, or cookie dough that we're going to be releasing, too. Um, we call it cookie dough that you can eat. So we don't, you know, that's what we call it. But um, when we're talking about just the egg component, we call them plant-based eggs. So these are, these are eggs, but instead of uh, you know, the end result of a hen's ovulation cycle, we just use plants grown in open fields. Is there any way you can explain to us how that's done without yeah. us having a chemistry degree? <laughs> yeah, totally. So 
it really starts out with um, the identification, sort of. We have a team of explorers that live in the back of our lab. These are biochemists and chemical engineers and molecular biologists, and they basically go on a hunting expedition every single day. So they search for plants around the world. Um, we've looked at over 1,500 from over 40 different countries, and they look at the plants at their deepest molecular level, trying to understand what is really happening with these plants and to see if we can connect these plants to food products that eggs normally would go into or if we could throw them in a pan and they would scramble it up. So every once in a while, our biochemistry team. So imagine these are the, the deepest divers. They're using um, the tools of molecular biology and biochemistry to discover it, to peel back the molecular structure of a plant. And every once in a while, and this has happened 11 times, they'll find one and they'll say, you know what? Chef, food scientist, I think we can make some food out of this. And then they'll hand off to the food scientists and our chef, um, and we'll see if we can make some cookies. We'll see if we can bake cakes. We'll see if we can scramble an egg. And every once in a while, those things come together in just um, a fashion that we can release products that are more affordable and, and taste even better. This week's episode is brought to you by Agile Tortoise's Terminology iPhone and iPad app. Terminology is an app for anyone who loves words. A universal app for iPad and iPhone, Terminology is part dictionary, part thesaurus, and part research tool. I use it daily, and I'm always amazed by how clean, easy, and effective it is. Terminology starts with a great offline dictionary with concise definitions and extends the dictionary with deep word relations. With Terminology, you can store favorite words, search your history, and sync with Dropbox Backup. Never waste time searching for the perfect word again. Seriously, guys, terminology looks gorgeous on iOS 7. It's absolutely perfect for looking up word definitions, but even more awesome because you can create custom actions to search Wikipedia, Google, and other websites. The best part is, it's only $2.99 on the App Store. You can head to agiletortoise.com terminology for more information. Terminology. Browse the English language on iPhone and iPad. So the one you debuted, as we mentioned, the scrambled eggs, how good does that actually taste? I mean, how much does it taste like an egg? Yeah, it's pretty good. We're getting closer and closer. Really? I would say, I would say we're about, um, we're about 90% of the way there. We still got some work to do on the taste, a little bit of work on the texture. Now, if I served it up to you guys and, uh, and sort of an Alabama-style biscuit with uh, some of our mayonnaise, mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't be able to tell at all. Yep. If, I gave, if I gave it to you straight without any salt or anything else on it, you'd probably say, well, this is good, but it could use a little bit of work. Mm -hmm. um, but we're plowing through, and we've seen um, you know, big-time advancements just in the last month on texture, on taste. Um, and the simple fact that we could find one plant that you throw in a pan and it scrambles up, I think sort of speaks to the the unbelievable qualities of this thing that's all around us, these plants that otherwise weren't being utilized in ways that could help the food system. It's insanity. John and I are looking at, our, at each other, shaking our heads. I mean, first of all, how do you even cook these plants? I mean, do you blend yeah. them? Do you, do you have scientists like mixing them with stuff? How does that work? All the above, yeah. I mean, so it really starts at imagine we identify. So the plant that, that's in the mayonnaise is not a green pea, but a yellow pea. So we work with farmers, um, and they literally grow these yellow peas. Um, and we take these yellow peas, and we use a very light process to actually turn the yellow pea into a powder that we could work with, just kind of a, a milling process. 
Uh, and then instead of using a conventional egg and throwing it in mayonnaise, we throw our yellow peas in a mayonnaise and it gives us something that, um, that tastes better, that is more affordable. And it's sort of the same type of deal with the scrambled too. It's this really deep dive into different species and understanding these subtle processing techniques that, that bring out the life in all of them. I'm wondering, I'm sure you've gotten this a number of times and you've probably fielded this question and put it in your business plan with, with all of the hype around GMOs or food science and changing nature. What's your response to the fact that we're trying to play mother nature in this case? I mean, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's a good question. I think one of our values here at Hampton Creek is radical openness. And I think it's a conversation worthy of, of everyone having more and more. Um, and I think the first thing to think about is, you know, like establishing the baseline. So what is the current reality of egg production and sort of acknowledging that it is, in fact, not old McDonald had a farm. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's a hard one to like really communicate. But you really got to accept, wait a second, nine birds in cages fed antibiotic laden feed that are going to the bathroom all over each other, and they're not leaving those cages for two years. Like, that is reality. And for me, at least, that is the antithesis of natural. That's the antithesis of what we envision when we think about where our food comes from. And for us, in terms of GMOs, you know, I think I spent some time in Africa. And I, at one point, I worked on a project that was attempting to partner with farmers in northern Africa to grow some crops. And I know they were having a hard time because of drought. Um, and they were using some drought-resistant crops that were actually genetically modified. So I think in that sense, I think there's a role for GMOs. I think there's a role for GMOs in select cases. In terms of our company, we've decided to, um, to focus on plants that uh, do not contain GMOs. So our products are proudly certified by the non-GMO project. But just being open about it, I do see both sides. And I understand where, you know, where people would have counterpoints to, to our approach. Sure. And, and I, I actually sat in a debate between a, a scientist and a, you know, another person on the other side that was talking about GMOs and it opened my eyes. I agree with you that there, there's a place for that. And what I, what I'm curious about is in the process of turning these plants into an egg like substance, is there any, I don't even know what the word is. Is there any processing that, that people yeah. might worry about or wonder about? Or is it, like you said, milling into a powder? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just changing the, yeah. the form. It's not changing the complexion, right? Yeah, this might I, – I always you know, tell people that um, sometimes when people visit the lab, they think we're, we're growing plants um, in little Petri dishes. <laughs> um, but really, it, I mean, it really speaks to the amazing diversity and the, you know, unbelievable functionality of these plants that we really haven't explored. And that the process for us, it really is a, it's a milling approach, but it's, it's a milling approach that basically um, uses heat and pressure in such a way that enables that plant to retain its awesomeness, for lack of a better word. <laughs> so basically, the more you cook your vegetables, the worse they are. The more we mess with our plants, the worse they are. The less they scramble, the less they emulsify, the less they bind. Um, and that's like the, you know, the, the, the bottom line for us that it's a, it's a milling using heat and pressure like you would think of a typical flour mill along with, you know, this identification of these particular species that just rock. That's really cool. Have you guys done nutritional analysis? Yeah, quite a bit. 
So in the ours, actually, our plants actually have a little bit more protein on average than an egg would. Um, a little less fat, no cholesterol, um, and certainly not the food safety issues. Although when you're having mayonnaise or cookies or cookie dough, protein might not be the first thing you're thinking about, <laughs> you know. But um, when it comes to that, we, you know, we're, we stand up pretty well against a chicken egg. So you said that there's more protein in your guy's egg than an actual egg from a chicken? There is, yeah. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's amazing because my first thing was going to be, you know, everybody talks about how eggs are really best bang for the buck for protein. And if you guys are even a better bang for the buck, I mean, that's that's unbelievable to, to think that a plant is providing protein. Because I've always wondered where my vegetarian friends get all their protein from because I'm like, you're not eating meat. Where are you getting it all from? You are ill-informed. I know, I know. <laughs> no, yeah, no. And it's, it's fascinating. I mean, that you're the, the kind of feeling that you just articulated is actually our opportunity because it's our opportunity that even the scientific community – has taken that approach too. So for example, when you talk to our head of biochemistry and he says, he, there's something called a protein database that before this job, I didn't spend much time honestly searching in, but there's this protein database and most of the proteins in the database happen to be animal proteins, but there's an abundant amount of protein in the plant world too. It's just this mindset has kind, kind of formed habits which have formed memes, which make people believe, you know, protein really only comes from animals, but it actually is abundant in plants. Has there been any plant that has just shocked you? You know, you went, you got it, your scientists looked at it, and you said, wow, we should be eating more of this as a species. Yeah, I think there's this one plant. So we use the, the green, uh, the yellow pea, not the green pea in mayonnaise. We use a particular species of sorghum. Um, in another application, but it's actually this, this one particular plant, plant that scrambles, that causes cakes even to build a third more volume than an egg-based cake. And it's available in large quantities. It's grown by farmers around the world, and it's, it's something that we're really excited about, not only because it makes awesome food, but it relates to another one of our core priorities, which is we think we can create new cash crops and a new sustainable food economy. Um, we care about farmers. You know, I worked with farmers in sub-Saharan Africa. We didn't start this to make farmers' lives more difficult. Sure. We think we can help them identify new plant sources that actually move them away from just soy and corn um, to give them more incomes, to give them better livelihoods. So in that way, you know, we're really excited about this one particular plant. Yeah, and even aside from them growing the subsidized things like corn and soy, chickens. I mean, you know, these large companies, Purdue, they, they get them in the hole in debt, and they basically make no money with the chickens and the eggs that they produce. Yeah, it's not a good deal. And it's one of the things that's been um, really, really cool to see is the support that we have from farmers, um, from free-range farmers, from people who own backyard chickens, they don't like intensive animal agriculture either sure. because intensive animal agriculture for them is not at all about respecting an animal or respecting the environment. It's about, it's degrading. It's, it's not us. So it's cool to actually, they've uh, had the chance to visit our lab and it's cool to have them here and, and be supportive of what we're doing too. Cause frankly, if the state of the world's egg production was free range eggs and backyard chickens, we'd be doing something else. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I agree. 
I, I know we only have a couple more minutes with you and the listeners would be up in arms. If I didn't ask you, what made you believe you could create a plant-based egg? I mean, you, you know, Josh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. You're, you're not yeah. a molecular scientist. I mean, just the idea of starting this company when you first had it, how difficult did that seem? You know, I think my like perspective on life is, you know, we have all of these rules that we hear growing up that quote, smart, informed people tell us about whether we can do something and how fast we can do it and how fast we can build it and who can do it with us. And for the most part in my life, I've found most of those rules to be completely wrong. Um, and I found out that, you know, if you find really, really smart people who care a ton, who, you know, see the world, um, as yeah, a place that you can create and not always follow these rules, you can do big things and you can do them fast. So I think it's just this mindset of, you know, there's clearly a problem and we can be incremental about trying to solve the problem or we can create an entirely new model that makes the existing model obsolete in the same way that the car in Henry Ford made the horse and buggy obsolete and the same way the mobile phone is making the landline obsolete. I think we can just create and, and do things differently and fail and be okay with failing and, and get smart people around the table who are driven and awesome things tend to happen. So how did you go about that? I mean, you have that idea and I always wonder how, what's the first step? Do you go get step? somebody who has a ton of money or how does that work? Yeah. Well, you know, the first step was um, talking to people about it and kind of just saying, you know, what do you think? Does this make sense? Talking to big food manufacturers and saying, hey, would it make sense if we took the chicken egg out of your products and put in something made from a plant and got pretty good responses from them and started talking to friends of mine who are chefs and food scientists and asking them their thoughts? And, you know, some people said that sounds crazy. Um, and some people said it sounds like a good idea. And the, you know, the next step was we, we just kind of started going. We just started running these random experiments in a studio apartment, seeing if we could just throw random plants together and create random plant-based eggs. <laughs> um, and we got, we got a little traction and we put together a business plan and had a vision for it and, and recruited, um, recruited a biochemist and a venture capital firm called Coastal Ventures, which is funded uh, some big time companies that are that are uh, making a lot of change and shaking up a lot of industries. Decided that um, this crazy idea is something they wanted to back, and we we got our initial funding from them, and we were off and running. That's amazing. Well, I I really appreciate you being on the show. I look forward to what is to come. I mean. Everybody, we'll put a link to the YouTube video. Check that out, you know, at, at your talk at TED. And I can't wait for the scrambled eggs personally, but I know the mayo is out already and everything you have out in the future. Where can our listeners go to, to learn more about you, to learn more about your company and its progress, all that good stuff? Yeah, the first place they can go is HamptonCreekFoods.com and they can sign up and we'll always make sure to keep them updated. And they can always walk into their local Whole Foods and uh, see what's on the shelf and um, keep asking Whole Foods and other grocery stores uh, to carry our products and like us on Facebook. Perfect. Well, Josh, again, thank you so much. Really looking forward to what Hampton Creek Foods has in store and best of luck in the future. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a good one. 
dear best podcast listeners in the world. Thank you guys so much for getting us nominated to the podcast awards for the second year in a row. Thank you guys so much. We don't even have a soundboard where we can like. I know. I need to be able to push buttons and do that crazy radio stuff. You guys hate that. Yeah, absolutely. But we're going to ask one more favor of you. November 1st through 15th, please head to podcastawards.com and vote for Smart People Podcast in the education section. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a listener's choice. So every day you can vote if you believe we deserve it. If you don't, vote for somebody else. Help yeah. us take down Grammar Girl. I know. How, how do we not year. provide more value in the world than somebody who teaches you grammar that can be done on microsoft word anyways well to be grammar check to be fair or google i've used grammar girl so many times so many times but i still want to beat grammar girl in the podcast awards and i know josh was on a strict time schedule he's busy running an amazing company so we didn't get to ask him our final three questions that we'd like to do but in the, in his place, what I'm going to do is tell you an app that you can use to make your life easier. AgileTortoise.com. Seriously, check it out. Go to our website, actually, to check it out. SmartPeoplePodcast.com. Go through the link. They check that kind of stuff. Just so we don't end on Chris making his silly soundboard explosion sound, which was pretty good, I I'm might the have human to say. soundboard. Remember that guy on those movies? Okay, that... We're going to have an offline discussion here in a second because this is going to blow your mind. But all right, everybody, have a great week. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Don't forget to vote for us at podcastawards.com. <laughs>